Hey everybody, Saul Marquez here with the Outcomes Rocket, and I'm excited to launch another podcast as part of the entire series around compliance in the healthcare space with MedTrainer. Uh, and so with that, I wanna introduce Dr. Kira Rashid. She uses her expertise in public policy to ensure MedTrainer course content meets the requirements for regulatory compliance and professional licensure. Uh, Dr. Rashid earned both a master's degree and a doctorate degree in public policy before joining MedTrainer in 2021. As the senior program manager, she collaborates with the team of SMEs to review legislative and regulatory changes in healthcare compliance requirements at the federal and state level and leverages this information to create risk management plans for MedTrainer clients and create strategic plans for close uh, for course development. I'm excited to have her on the podcast here. Hira, welcome. Thanks, Saul. Great to be here. Thanks for it's, having me. Uh, it's such a pleasure to have you uh, on the podcast to, to, to go over this very important topic. And, and, and regulations are always changing, and it's so hard to, to stay on top of these things. So it's great that, that you and, and teams like yours are doing this for us. Before we dive into the, the content of, of today's episode, Hira, I'd love to, to really help the listeners get to know you a little bit better. What, what is it that inspires your work in the healthcare space? Yeah, so, well, thank you, first of all, for that great introduction. I think beyond all of that professional uh, uh, information, I think what really got me interested in healthcare compliance was a personal experience. So um, I think... I was around maybe 19, 20, and we found out that my mother was diagnosed with uh, cancer. And, you know, I, I, as, a pri as the primary caregiver at the time, I was trying to navigate a lot of the healthcare landscape for her. And I think what really got me frustrated was that you could find the clinicians and you can find the care and you could find what you were looking for. But really what you struggled with was to be in front of the right provider at the right time with the correct mindset of looking for the things that were wrong with like this one particular person's body and, you know, what was going on specifically with them. And I think that frustration really for me was at a system level, right? So we met some of the best providers and some of the best care caregivers and all of that stuff. But really what frustrated me was that you didn't have processes to get you to the right kind of care at the right time and to be diagnosed properly. So in her case, you know, it progressed undiagnosed until she needed extensive chemo and radiation and surgery and all of that. And mm. thankfully she's fine now. But, you oh, know, once she got that care, she was able to recover and, and all of that. But the point is that she didn't she didn't have to get to that point. And that really is what inspired me. So that led me to my policy work. I started, of course, in academia with like a bunch of this research. Some of it was, of course, catered towards maternal health, reproductive health, you know, uh, obstetrics and all of that stuff. And then uh, beyond that, just like health services research, healthcare delivery models, program evaluations for healthcare interventions and policy work. Thank you for sharing that story. I'm glad your mom is okay. Thanks. And, you know, and, and it served as a catalyst for, for I think, really important work um, that you're focused on. And, and so can you provide our listeners with an overview of this complex landscape of healthcare policy and maybe just highlight some of the key challenges and nuances that that healthcare organizations face today? Absolutely. Yeah. So this is where the researcher in me kind of kicks in, right? Like landscape and broad overview. So I think one of the things that we tend to think is happening in the policy world, especially as like providers who are doing their day-to-day, -day, you know, compliance stuff is 
you know, there's this there's this idea that policy is coming from this like central location of just completely thought out and well formulated ideas and plans and outcomes. And oftentimes it's not. So policy is something that's shifting. It's happening as a result of negotiations as a solution to some problems that people might not be aware of or might not even be applicable to them. And then they're just impacted by that broad based solution. Like you have to do X training for X hours by X date, right? And that might not even be applicable to certain providers or certain organizations because they're not facing the same problems. So I think that's the big thing to understand is that, you know, oftentimes you're going to be frustrated with policy because it doesn't apply to you, but it applies to somebody somewhere to, you know, people who are supposed to implement uh, actions to address that policy uh, solution. So I think that's one thing. Um, the other thing I would like to say around healthcare landscape is I think there's a there's a focus on, I want to say processes rather than systems. So a lot of the compliance challenges that folks continue to face when I work with them is that they've built processes for compliance. So that's, you know, sort of like creating a training binder, making sure that providers are credentialed by hiring a credentialing specialist and only that person knows what the credentialing process is, right? Or like license verification processes. And not having a system in place that can kind of, you know, uh, be okay and still be stable and continue to work after people transition out or people are, you know, uh, move to other roles or additional regulations come in. So I think that's really the, at the landscape level, really, you have to think about compliance systems and not just having processes. Many of us can think about a time when we have, you know, we feel organized and we feel like our organization has everything where it needs to be. And then that one key individual leaves. Right. And it falls apart. Um, and, and gosh, you know, this is such a pain point for, I think, a lot of healthcare organizations specific to to this complex area of, of, of uh, compliance. Uh, so, so in your experience, and you guys work with a lot of different uh, different clients across the landscape. Uh, what are some of the common pain points that healthcare organizations run into when trying to navigate and comply with healthcare policies? Healthcare is deeply fragmented, even in the way that it's provided, right? So the pain points, in my experience, for large organizations that have consolidated a bunch of practices and, you know, have a bunch of locations and have like a you know, thousand person staff, the problems that impact them are going to be more focused around things like we have six different federal organizations that create regulation that, you know, impact this large healthcare organization, for instance. So that's like CMS. They're impacted by what the OIG is doing. They're impacted by OSHA, by HIPAA, like all of that stuff, right? Mm -hmm. But then on another level, you have your small, like uh, single provider practices or two or three provider practices, and the challenges for them look very different. So on a larger, in a larger organization, you're going to struggle with having too many resources. You're going to struggle with making sure that not everybody's taking every training and having end, ending up with like 20 hours of work to do. Mm -hmm. um, at the single provider or two or three provider level, they don't have a compliance officer. They don't have anybody who's looking to see what regulatory changes are coming in. They're getting memos from like the State Department of Health. Or they're getting memos from like CMS and they're like, oh, no, I have to comply with this training. And then they have to figure out how that training applies to them, the services that they provide, what is the timeline and schedule for that look like. So I think that's really and then if you're like in a rural area, right, like where there's maybe like a healthcare desert sort of situation, you're not really able to understand how those training needs can be met with the limited resources that you have and the limited technology that you have. 
So I think that those are the key areas, having too much training for large organizations and then not really knowing what to do to be compliant for smaller organizations that don't have the staff. You have this down. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you've seen it. And and so, you know, um, when it comes to compliance, folks, um, there's breaking points, you know, and, and I think Hira uh, is highlighting some of those breaking points that that your respective organizations might have. How does MedTrainer come in and, and help at these different levels? I think we do a, a few different things, of course. You know, we're like a, a software solution for broad compliance, not just training compliance, which is my focus, but broad overall compliance for credentialing, license verifications, exclusion checks, all of that stuff. So I think for larger organizations, they have the ability to implement the software. So we come in as sort of a technology solution that they're kind of ready for, right? So with any sort of intervention, timing matters. Timing is really important. And I think that's something that we actually help when we sell our software to our to our customers. That's something that we help them figure out is, is readiness, right? So readiness for implementation. And if they're not ready to implement the software, we help them understand what they need to become ready to implement the software. So that's one thing that we do for larger organizations. For smaller organizations, we actually kind of help them understand what their compliance needs are as well. So we're not, we try not to be prescriptive because that's always a risk, right? We're not in their location. We're not understanding where, where they're located, what their patient population is, what the specific uh, organization uh, organizational risks are that they're struggling with. But we try to get as much information from them as possible. So we have these like really candid discussions with them. So it might be like me and our vice president of compliance, our lead nurse leader, like a team of people who can help them understand what their need is and then kind of let them go back to the drawing board and come back to us and say, you know what, okay, I understand what my needs are now. This is These are the areas that I need help in. So that might include a training plan or whether or not they need to do a security risk assessment for HIPAA or whether or not they need to have an emergency management plan that's more curated to the risks they're facing. So that's really the insight we're able to provide for smaller providers uh, as like a software solution. You guys have have helped a lot of people a lot of organizations at, at, at either side of the spectrum. Uh, so the opportunity is big. Folks, you know, uh, I love doing this. I, I love having conversations with leaders like Hira because I'm able to 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 position some people that do great things like MedTrainer, Hira, and the team over there with the needs in the market. And, and I've been hearing a lot of uh, pain points from people in the market on this topic. So I'm excited for you to be be in the know of the work that MedTrainer does uh, and and obviously in the show notes of this this podcast or in the entire series, uh, we're going to leave ways to get in touch with them. Um, and so make sure you do don't don't stop at just listening at this podcast. If you have a pain point there, take action. Um, look uh, and sort of you said this at the beginning here. Uh, policies shift, they change, and 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 oftentimes create uncertainty. How, how can healthcare organizations stay adaptable and responsive to these changes? while maintaining high quality patient care? Well, like you said, you want to talk to somebody who has their finger on the pulse, right? So MedTrainer does that a lot. We do our webinars that are open to the public so people can attend and register as, uh, you Saw know, that. For, yeah, for whatever is applicable to them. So I think that's important. So really, you know, being in the know is important. You know, webinars, um, just podcasts like these are important to listen to, to be in the know. 
But I think beyond this, what is important to understand is that there are trends in policy, right? So you're not going to go backwards. We're, we're sort of progressing towards certain uh, outcomes that we're interested in as like a, as a country, right? So one of those trends is the federal government is leading the charge for reducing the cost of healthcare, right? They're leading the charge for improving healthcare outcomes. They're leading the charge for providing uh, quality uh, care, patient-centered care, making sure that care is culturally competent. So those are, you know, the quadruple aim you know, things, initiatives that come out at the federal level are important to follow because the private sector is going to follow that, that, that lead. So if you see that CMS is creating a lot of cultural competency content, implicit bias content, states are going to start creating that. Their states are going to start following their lead and mandating regulatory requirements uh, that follow that cultural competency model of care. So I think that's important to look at where what the federal government is doing, specifically what Medicaid, Medicare providers are being required to do. And it's going to become something a year or two years, three years down the line, it's going to become something that folks have to do. I think a great example here is the is, is a law that was passed in 2015. So MACRA was passed, passed in 2015 and it established MIPS, which mm -hmm. is kind of a data collection model for quality uh, outcomes tracking. So all Medicare professionals were eligible to participate. If they were eligible to participate, they had to implement certain, you know, data collection processes uh, and make sure that their reimbursements to to make sure that their reimbursements weren't being dogged. And this is something that's going to impact them like much later. So, for instance, the model that's being the, the eligibility criteria that's being implemented in 2023, it's going to affect reimbursements in 2025. So this is, you know, it's it's huge. It's almost, you know, you have to plan ahead in order to make sure that those policy changes are not impacting you. So if your Medicare providers are doing, let's say, you know, all these uh, data outcomes tracking and whatnot, this is a good time to start implementing that more broadly. So you kind of are in line with those trends because it's going to become important to start doing more data collection as an organization. It's already becoming important for to maintain your accreditations. If you're like a CHC that has an FQHC, a federally qualified health center designation, you already have to do a bunch of this stuff, right? So I think that's really important to make sure that you're looking at what the federal government is requiring providers to do and then follow that lead. And then, of course, we're looking at, you know, equitable care, health equity is a big thing. Uh, inclusive care, you know, person-centered care. So I think, you know, sometimes our providers can be a little bit reluctant to say, you know, I don't want to do two hours of cultural competency training. And that's where we're like, you, sh you, you should, you know, you probably should just because it's not going to go away, right? It's only going to become right. more, uh, more of an intensive requirement. So you might as well just have a good starting point now rather than waiting until it's absolutely necessary for you to start and then you don't have good resources. Yeah, no, some some great examples there, Hira, and and uh, and it's interesting how you know you'll see the change, and if you're aware, you have some time to do something about it. Exactly. Right? Yeah. yeah, and it's absolutely. just being. Yeah, go ahead. No, go ahead. You were going to comment on that. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So for training requirements specifically, normally what the state governments do and the federal government does is they'll say we've passed this law, we've passed this regulation. You have to make sure that all providers are trained by, let's say, July 2024. So they're giving you that buffer period to make sure that you can create those trainings, implement those trainings, and make sure folks have time to complete those trainings. And I think with this, one of the things that, again, in trends that I'm seeing is that there's a lot of overlap. 
So again, from a policy perspective, if you look at all the different federal agencies, all the different levels of compliance, it's almost like people are talking to each other. So in the policy world, we talk about policy silos. And that's really what is happening in healthcare is that your federal government is saying one thing, then your accreditation agency is saying one thing, then your state government is saying one thing. But then if you take the time to just sit down and like look at everything that you're being required to do, you're going to start seeing overlap. And that's important to leverage if you don't want your staff to burn out. So if, you know, on three levels, you need cultural competency training, make sure you have one training that meets all those needs. If you have to provide certain data on licensing, credentialing, you know, tracking your, your staff uh, uh, composition, make sure that that's all stored in one place so you can pull different types of reports to, to make sure that you get all the data. But really, you don't want to be collecting that data four different times for different compliance requirements. You want to be collecting one comprehensive data set. Make sure you have processes, structures, and systems in place to do that so you can pull what you need when you need it and send it over to the folks that are asking for it. There is the blueprint <laughs> for <laughs> success in this area. And, uh, and, and, I, and I love just having, you know, Hira uh, uh, here kind of walking us through the, the, the blueprint. Really, that's what it is so that you don't have to fall victim of, you know, not getting the appropriate reimbursement or getting penalties. You know, um, I, I'm a big fan of success stories. Do you have any that you could share, case studies, for example, where the partnership you guys have had with different healthcare organizations has led to, you know, uh, success complying with these policies? One of the things that we're really invested in doing right now is we've kind of mastered the area of federal compliance as just a, you know, training provider as uh, in terms of just being able to make sure that folks have or they're able to, they have the resources to be compliant with what they need to be compliant with. So that includes, you know, telling them, well, you need this plan, you need this document, you need to be tracking this information, this data set at the federal level. So now we're finding that increasingly state agencies are tying regulatory training requirements, regulatory data collection requirements, also to like licensure renewal. So they would say, you know, you need, let's say, two hours of implicit bias training, but also if you're a nurse in let's say Illinois, you need that training to renew your license. But everybody else needs it just because they need it because it's a regulatory requirement. So I think that's what we're doing in terms of helping folks in different states. So what we're doing is state-specific gap analyses. And then what we do is we say like, okay, well, here's, if you're in behavioral health, let's say in California, here's everything that you need to become compliant. And that's really helped because a lot of the times, uh, folks might not know what exactly they're required to comply with, especially if they're setting up new facilities. One of the things that I think I run into that's almost always like a hit with folks is, you know, asking them about their security risk assessments. So asking people, have you done a security risk assessment? They're like, yeah, I did one like six years ago. And it's like, okay, but you realize that your computers have changed since then, right? Are you using the same laptops that you were six years ago? No. Are you using the same people that you were using six years ago? No. They need to redo your security risk assessment to make sure that gaps are accurately identified, risks are accurately identified. And then from that, we're able to create almost you know, you know, this is something that almost always happens. Folks will say, okay, so I did, just did my security risk assessment. And then they will ask us to help them create a training plan that aligns with that security risk assessment. Something that helps that, uh, that helps, uh, that, that actually is resolved with that is the volume of training. So it might be that they were doing like six hours of HIPAA training and they were doing like all these sessions and they had all these documents and whatnot. And they're able to just kind of get rid of all of that with a 
security risk assessment that's current, risks that are identified, and then asking us to help them understand what they need to train people on, what risks they face so that they can kind of have plans to specifically address those. And then their training period might get shaved down to like, let's say two hours or so. And so that has always, almost always been like a good success story with, um, with HIPAA compliance. I think the other thing that we are really good at doing is collaborations. So one of the things that we realized people were struggling with was mandated reporter trainings. So mandated reporter trainings are applicable to basically all mandated reporters and we're all mandated reporters essentially mm -hmm. in healthcare, right? So if you're a provider, you're a nurse, you know, you're a receptionist, and if you're seeing an instance of neglect, abuse, you know, any sort of um, anything that's causing harm to like a minor or a person in a vulnerable place, you're required to report it. And so we were finding that states are increasingly coming up with trainings that they house on their websites and they say, you have to do this training and this training only. And so we're able to work with states to get that training into our incorporated into our LMS. So that way people know and they have the reassurance that their state has sanctioned that training, that is the required training that they're supposed to take. And again, it reduces burden for them because they know they're taking the training that they need. They're not taking extra, you know, hours. They're not not in compliance because they're training a they're taking a training that maybe doesn't have all the content or the state-specific processes. So I think those are two training specific examples. And then I think one of the things that we've been really successful in doing is working with ambulatory surgery centers and then with community health centers. For ambulatory surgery centers, we have helped, I think, dozens, if not more, if not hundreds of uh, organizations stay compliant with their AAAHC accreditation. That's really important because that also affects whether or not they can receive uh, CMS funding. So that's something that we're really able to help them with. We have a consolidated bundle. And, you know, it's interesting because we complete these bundles uh, almost in collaboration with folks. So when new requirements come out, especially really extensive requirements, because we're not running an ESC, right? So we're not, right, we're, right. we're working, we're relying on them to come back to us and say, you know what, this is good, but this isn't really something that helps my staff understand exactly what needs to be done or what they need to do correctly. So that's something that we're able to help with AAAC accreditation. And then the other update that recently, regulatory update that recently came out that we kind of got a jump on and a lot of folks were really appreciative of is the FTCA updates. That's the Federal Tort Claims Act, and that applies to all federally qualified health centers. So we were able to like understand what the requirement was. This is something that actually didn't have a lot of time buffer. I think that the requirement was published in April and by June, folks had to submit their application wow. for designation. That's a fast and turnaround. So, yeah, absolutely. And so that's something we were able to get a jump on. We started getting like these calls and messages and emails from our clients and they were like, oh my God, have you seen the FTC update? update? Like, what are we supposed to do? How do we, I need to submit my application? Can you help us create this training? And so that's something we were able to help with. And I know I have a lot of success story examples, but another key <laughs> one is our platform allows for customers to upload their own content or work with us to upload their content into the system. So what that does is, especially if we take like the FQHC example, the federal government doesn't say, or like this is HRSA, HRSA doesn't say you need to train on, you know, vulnerable population risk A with one hour of training for your staff. They will say, identify the risk that affects your organization and then train people on it. Here are some key examples that might be applicable to you. So that's where we come in and we're like, okay, so we can't obviously create every a training on every single risk that's going to impact you because we don't know. 
So here's what you can do. Create a PowerPoint, tell us what that risk is, and we will work with our team to get that training available to you in our system that's specific to your organization. So other people maybe don't have that risk, don't share that risk, are not going to benefit from that training. So the curated content really has been a massive hit uh, with our with our customers. Folks, I would hit rewind on this and re-listen because... Um, I think one of those is probably applies to you. <laughs> um, and and uh, and certainly just just really good to 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 hear uh, the variety of of areas that you guys uh, really stay abreast of uh, for all of our listeners to to take advantage of. Uh, look, I think of compliance like like sort of accounting, right? Like, do you really want to do your taxes yourself? Yeah. Especially if you're a business, I think the answer is no. You work with the experts and 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 then and then you get an advantage. And and you know, I think of these large IDNs and, and all the mergers and acquisitions, like you, you, you called out the multi-state sort of variability that comes with it. It could get complicated very fast. And so I really appreciate all the the call-outs and examples that you shared with us. Okay, so we're here at the end here. I can't believe we've already been chatting for 30 minutes. Well, you know, when you think about the future, you know, let's look at the landscape, the horizon. You know, what do you see in, in uh, and what do you foresee in healthcare policy and how can organizations practically prepare for these changes? One of the things to, I, and I think this is common knowledge in healthcare, but just to call it out because of the sheer importance that this carries is we're moving away from a fee-for-service model and we're going to continue to move away from a fee-for-service model. As one of the largest, most successful economies in the world and not having the healthcare outcomes for our populations to go along with it and then having these massive disparities, I think it's really important to recognize that on every level, we're going to continue to implement policies that are going to help close that gap, that are going to move more towards preventive care and primary care and away from streamlining specialized care just as an entry point into the healthcare system for folks. So I think that's important to recognize. One of the things, and I've worked, uh, you know, with some policymakers in, in actually multiple states during my graduate studies and then also afterwards. One of the things that policymakers are worried about is that we just don't have enough primary care providers. So, and we are seeing that primary care providers don't want to work in areas that primary care is most needed, which is rural areas. Mm -hmm. And so, and areas with low population density. So that's important to keep in mind, especially if large is a large organization, you're branching out into multiple states and into multiple areas. Really, the need is for primary healthcare providers, and a lot of policymakers are trying to streamline these workforce pipelines. Uh, I think with you know, especially teaching hospitals and with other training providers, we're offering like certifications that help folks bridge that gap. Uh, that's going to continue to happen. Uh, more certifications, more certified professionals that are non-clinical staff to help streamline, uh, you know, the care gap is going to keep coming up. So, for instance, I believe Kentucky is implementing, you know, like a a, a bridge model where they're using these non-clinical staff, kind of like social workers, but a little mm -hmm. bit more administrative, who are connecting people to healthcare, who are connecting people to like insurance that they're eligible for. To reduce that disparity, to make sure more people are with it, like have insurance coverage. And I think that's going to continue to happen. 
moving like further along, you you need non-clinical healthcare staff in your organization. So I know a lot of us are just sort of like, okay, well, we have, you know, five providers in our practice. We don't really need a compliance officer. We don't need a care coordinator. We might not need somebody who can, or like a billing person, right? But really that's gonna, that's a trend that's gonna continue to kind of haunt folks because it's, mm -hmm. It's going to become more important to have streamlined documentation. It's going to become really important to have an electronic health record system. That's already happening. So I gave the example of MIPS, MACREFs. That's a requirement for you to be a Medicare provider at this point. That's going to become more streamlined. I think United, Aetna, a bunch of other large healthcare providers are moving in the direction of you have to implement electronic health record systems that are going to allow you to generate data to be able to send to them. They're also going to do more utilization reviews. Those are going to keep getting bigger, broader. So if as a provider, you're providing care, they're going to want to know why you ordered specific tests, why you ordered uh, specific medications. The regulation on opioids is going to keep getting a little bit more stringent, especially with like the addiction epidemic that we have going on in the country. So those are some things to really keep an eye on uh, moving forward and planning for, really. You have to plan. So at least six months before you're going to implement something, make sure that you have a concrete plan. If you're planning a month before or a few weeks before you roll out policy that impacts your staff, that's going to implode. More, more often than not, that's going to implode. It's going to create too much paperwork, too much administrative burden. You're not going to be able to track it accurately. So those are important things to keep in mind and just start discussions with your staff about like now. So that moving forward, when these become mandatory and these become a requirement for you to keep your facility open, to keep getting reimbursed, that this isn't like a big pain point that you have to scramble to resolve. There's some great trend information for you to consider. And look, it, this is the beginning of it. You know, uh, Hira, you mentioned webinars. How often do you guys do those? I believe we have a couple happening every quarter at this point that are open to the public. Fantastic. So folks, what we'll do, this, as I said, this is the beginning. We have a couple more podcasts in this series, but uh, it doesn't have to stop there. Uh, in the show notes, we'll leave links to MedTrainer, their webinars, and and uh, if people want to reach out to you here, is that okay? Can they can they send you a LinkedIn note or whatever? Absolutely, yeah. So just Google search here, Sheet MedTrainer, and it will come up. Amazing. So we'll leave that in the show notes as well. Do not stop at just listening, folks. If you want to get on the Outcomes Rocket, it takes action. And Hira, I want to thank you for taking action and being with us today. Uh, really appreciate your time and your insights. Thanks, Al. Great to be here. Hey!